Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, working to change the cancer paradigm through personalized medicine. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anish Chagpar, Susan Higgins, and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers is our way of providing you with the most up-to-date information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, Dr. Higgins welcomes Dr. Suzanne Evans for a conversation about radiation therapy and the management of breast cancer. Dr. Evans is an associate professor of therapeutic radiology at Yale School of Medicine, and Dr. Higgins is a professor of therapeutic radiology and of obstetrics, gynecology, and reproductive sciences. So I think that what I'd like to do is start with some of the, you know, big picture topics because a lot of people know about surgery and they know about chemotherapy, but many people and many patients don't know a lot about radiation therapy and what role it plays in the management of breast cancer before they see us. Um, so maybe we could just start with that and discuss sort of one of the more straightforward things that we play a very important role in, which is breast conservation therapy. Absolutely, Dr. Higgins. So, you know, I think to take a, a small step back, like you said, a lot of people don't understand really what radiation therapy truly is. So. Whereas chemotherapy is sort of a whole body treatment or a systemic treatment really aimed at finding any microscopic cancer cells that may have left the site where the cancer started, radiation therapy is really a very local treatment. So when we talk about breast cancer and we talk about breast cancer management, we find that not only local therapies, such as surgery and radiation therapy, have a very important role, but also the systemic therapies like chemotherapy or endocrine therapy, anti-hormone pills that women will take play a very profound role in management. So when we talk about radiation therapy, we're really talking about treatment that is delivered to the breast following breast cancer surgery. And so as you said, a lumpectomy or a removal of the cancerous lump in the breast is followed by treatment typically to the entire breast with daily radiation treatments. Now those radiation treatments um, are x-ray treatments. Unlike chemotherapy, with breast radiation, we don't see nausea. Um, we don't see lowering of blood counts, typically. And this is a treatment that takes just a few moments to deliver. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point because um, people who come in for radiation therapy, one of their main concerns is that they've been through systemic therapy. Um, they've had various side effects that had a, a profound effect on their sort of quality of life and their day-to-day -day, um, activities. But it's important to differentiate a local treatment like radiation and a systemic therapy like chemotherapy that's distributed throughout the body. Um, maybe you can and talk a little bit more about the technology that allows us to treat people, quote unquote, locally, because we the beams are directed at very specific places. Absolutely. So the first step when we're talking about delivering radiation treatment is to have a, a good discussion and review of the individual person situation that brings them to our clinic. So we talk to them about how the cancer started, review any imaging 
studies that were done to figure out where treatment needs to be delivered, review the pathology report, review any prior treatments that they've had with respect to surgery or chemotherapy or hormonal therapy, and then also to have a, a good discussion about what the role of radiation therapy is in their care. Once that is complete and we make the decision together with the patient that radiation is indeed the best next step for them, then we start to get into that discussion and utilization of technology. So when we decide to do a radiation treatment, everything is very much custom designed for the patient. So one of the abilities that we have now that we didn't have years ago was to really individualize and customize everything for their individual size and shape. So we have patients come to our clinic and do a planning CAT scan, where we get three-dimensional imaging of their body to understand their exact size and shape, customize the radiation to them. I often will have patients say to me, well, I have dense breast tissue. Is the radiation going to be able to account for that? And I'm able to answer them that, yes, indeed, it will. In fact, part of the benefit of doing that CAT scan is we're able to measure the density and account for the density of all of their tissue. So whether it's the skin or the muscle um, or the very front of the rib cage that sometimes we'll see some radiation during breast radiation, we're able to account for their individual differences and really make the treatment very well designed. The other benefit that we have with that is our computer software lets us really map out treatment in a virtual reality fashion so that before a patient ever gets radiation therapy in our clinic, we're able to know exactly where the treatment is going to be delivered, whether or not there will be any nearby organs that see any radiation. Oftentimes, the lung will see a, a slight bit of radiation during breast radiation, and we're able to look at what that will be at the end of treatment and determine before treatment starts whether that's acceptable or needs some modification. And we're able to make all of these judgments before treatment begins so that we can make sure that treatment is accurate, safe, and optimized for their individual scenario. Yeah, and I wanted to go back to that because I think that a lot of patients don't realize how customized it is in terms of how the treatment is geared toward their specific body size and shape and how much work from a team standpoint uh, goes into the planning process. The, the, you know, the physician is part of it, but there's an entire team of people and a lot of sort of quality checks and balances that happen before they ever get to uh, treatment. Maybe we could discuss that a little bit. That's actually one of my favorite parts about our field is that we really do, just like you said, have a very nice team. So behind the scenes, we have the radiation therapists who actually deliver the treatment each and every day, and they are an integral part of the treatment team. We also have the dosimetrists, which is a group of, of people in our team who help us with optimizing the treatment plan for the individual patient, doing a lot of the calculations. We also have our physics team, which does a lot of the quality assurance and safety double checks behind our treatment plans, as well as helping maintain the machines to extremely high stringent standards of performance that are checked daily, monthly, yearly, all sorts of different checks that go on throughout the physics team. So we really have a great team when it comes to that. And so it's not just, like you said, the physician who's designing the treatment plan, but also a whole host of individuals behind the scenes that are really working to make safe, effective treatments. And the other thing that I think people don't realize is that we have many, many decades of data on hundreds of thousands of women. Um, and the 
we know, basically, we have rules about how to treat patients, how much lung can be in the field, how much heart can be in the field. And that is, uh, there's sort of a treasure trove of information for radiation oncologists. Um, and there's a lot of data that we have, you know, basically attesting to the safety and efficacy of radiation, more so than a lot of other things in medicine. So I think hopefully people are reassured by that. And I know that that's usually a part of the discussion because people are very fearful. There's no question. I think the other thing that's sort of unique about radiation therapy is that it's very different from drug therapies. You know, when someone takes a new medication, you may have a side effect from the medication, and absolutely that's related to the dose of the medication, but sometimes you start a medication, and even at a very low dose, you can have a significant side effect. With radiation therapy, that sort of reaction is very uncommon, and the reactions that we see related to radiation are oftentimes quite predictable um, with respect to dose and where we are and how well we're able to respect the organs at risk, as we call them, in terms of keeping those safe. Now, as with anything in medicine, strange things can happen, but that's really the minority of cases, and it really is quite predictable in terms of what the safety of a treatment is based on the stringent criteria that we use to evaluate treatment plans and in the design of the treatment plans. So now this is a, a good a good place to talk about those specific side effects. And when a patient comes to see you in the clinic, part of the consultation is educating them about radiation, but then talking about sort of what they're going to encounter over the course of treatment. Maybe you could go through what that discussion entails. Sure. So first and foremost, one of the things that we always talk about is just the basics. Um, patients should know that they're not going to be radioactive with external beam radiation treatments, so they're not going to be at any sort of risk to their family members or you know, pregnant family members or colleagues or young children. There's no need for precautions. You know, their, their bodily fluids are not radioactive in any way, so they're able to continue their normal day-to-day -day interactions with their family members without fear of any associated radiation being delivered to their loved ones. So that's an important thing for people to realize. The most common thing we see with breast radiation is that women get fatigued. And as you know better than me, Dr. Higgins, that's something that we see a lot of variability in. And some people get quite tired right away. And other people don't get tired hardly at all. I would say the, the typical pattern and what I tell my patients is that the fatigue is worse at the end of treatment than the beginning of treatment, worse at the end of the day than the beginning of the day, and it really doesn't seem to be associated with the time that the radiation is delivered. We I also have noticed um, that the patients who listen to their bodies and rest when they need to, seem to do better. Um, the women who are, women or men, who continue with their daily activities and sort of continue working until 11 o'clock at night and, and waking up at five in the morning, jumping out of bed to get back to work, tend to have a tougher time of treatment. You really do need sleep. Sleep is the time the body heals, so it's important to be able to, to get that. Besides that, the other thing that we see is some redness to the breast. There can be irritation to the breast, swelling in the breast. It's not uncommon during treatment for women to or men to experience aches and pains in the breast. 
after surgery, a lot of people experience little shooting pains in the breast where they'll get these little jabs or zingers with certain movements. And we see that phenomenon in radiation therapy as well, that women will get little aches and pains here and there. For the vast majority of women, that goes away. There is a small percentage of women who will have some breast pain after radiation therapy is complete. And by that, I mean, you know, lasting more than a few months after treatment. So it's rare, but once in a while, a year after treatment, we'll have someone who's still experiencing those sorts of shooting pains on a regular basis. The other things that we can see during treatment, um, the skin reaction can go beyond just being red like a sunburn, and sometimes it can have some peeling, and that peeling can either be dry peeling of sort of superficial layers of the skin, or uncommonly, they can have a, a deeper peeling where the skin will um, peel the, the top layers off and even have a little bit of, of wetness to it. The good thing about that is although it's uncomfortable when it happens, it does heal quite quickly. And so many radiation oncologists will follow their patients quite closely when that sort of thing happens to offer supportive care and after treatment's over, still continue to see them once a week or whatever their clinical scenario dictates to keep a close eye on that area and making sure that it's healing well. So yeah, um, I think that's a a good um, point to come back to is that skin care is a really important part of what we do in order to manage people during treatment. And we also have a a sort of a team approach to that also. um, Patients are being seen every day by the therapist. The doctor sees them once a week. But our nurses are very involved in that and really, I think, act for most of us as the skincare experts. Um, And we have special creams and things that we talk to to them about. But again, it's a a nice team approach to that side effect. And I think with everyone's input and the regimens that we have now, people are finding that the skin reactions are really quite tolerable. I would agree, certainly. And I certainly echo your statement about the importance of the nursing care and the role of the nurses in the care of the patients, as well as the therapists who are seeing them daily and assessing that area daily and alerting us to any changes. Yeah, and the fatigue, again, that's another side effect that's that's very, I think, manageable for people. They can go about their sort of usual life activities, but again, pacing themselves is important. I think that's another part of just counseling the patient, which again, we as radiation oncologists have the good fortune to spend a lot of time with our patients talking to them about these things. So um, we're going to take a short break right now for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more information about radiation therapy and breast cancer with me, Dr. Susan Higgins and Dr. Suzanne Evans. Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, a biopharmaceutical business with a deep-rooted heritage in oncology and a commitment to developing cancer medicines for patients. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Genetic testing can be useful for people with certain types of cancer that seem to run in their families. Patients that are considered at risk for a familial or hereditary cancer receive genetic counseling and testing so informed medical decisions can be based on their own personal risk assessment. Resources for genetic counseling and testing are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. 
This Milo Cancer Genetics and Prevention Program is comprised of an interdisciplinary team that includes geneticists, genetic counselors, physicians, and nurses who work together with the goal of providing cancer risk assessment and taking steps to prevent the development of cancer. This has been a Medical Minute brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. This is Dr. Susan Higgins, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Suzanne Evans, and we're discussing the role of radiation therapy in the management of breast cancer. So we spent the first half discussing the basic strategy of radiation, how we use it, why we use it, what the patients experience, and I thought that we would use the second half of the program here to discuss what we're doing to make radiation safer, safer and how we're improving upon all the, uh, the great things we've accomplished in the last 30 or 40 years with treating patients with breast cancer. Um, so I thought we might start with the safety aspect. I know that's one of your research interests, one of your clinical interests, and there are some really new and exciting things coming out that allow us to to, again, make the radiation very specific to the areas that we want to treat and treat the area of breast tissue that we're concerned about while sparing things like the heart and lung. Um, maybe we can discuss some of that now. Absolutely. So there are a lot of things that are going on in that. So I'm glad you brought this up, Dr. Higgins. I think one of the things that we think about a lot as radiation oncologists is to really focus in on delivering excellent treatment and trying not to leave footprints behind on our patients, right? We really want people to go through treatment, and we're very blessed in that breast cancer typically is a disease in which we have a big need for survivorship issues, right? Women do well with breast cancer in general, and we have a lot of breast cancer survival for survivors. So there are really about a quarter of a million women diagnosed with breast cancer every year. And when you think about these numbers, it's pretty staggering of how many women are affected and how many women are going to live beyond this diagnosis. And so when we talk about treatment, we really have to pay close attention to any potential long-term side effects. And I think probably the most important one that we think about is the potential for side effects to the heart. Now, when we look at the early data with breast cancer, there was a really troubling trend that's been identified over the decades in which this has been used. And that is that there was an elevated risk of heart disease, small, but still noticeable and definitely measurable in women who received breast radiation. And over the years, we've been able to show that that risk is very much associated with the dose of radiation that the heart receives. And that, to me, is good news because we can think about that and we can modify it. It's not that if you get radiation, you're at risk and you know, that's something we're not going to be able to change. But as your radiation oncologist, your team is able to identify that and really know um, that we can monitor that heart dose and use strategies to lower that heart dose so that we can reduce your risk in the future. Because our expectation is that you're going to be around 20 years from now and that we need to think about these sorts of things so that 20 years from now, we're not dealing with side effects of treatments delivered decades ago. Now, 
there are a couple of different strategies. And again, this is where the team approach really comes in. One of the things that's been a tremendous benefit to us is the collaboration with the surgeons. And when the surgeons remove breast cancers these days, they have the capability to leave some markers in the breast to help us identify where exactly the surgical bed was. So that of all the areas in the breast, treating the entire breast is important. But sometimes we're able to shape the treatment field in such a way that we're having a small portion of breast receive a lower dose of radiation in order to spare the heart. And when the surgeons, in collaboration, understand that relationship and are able to identify for us by putting some simple surgical clips at the time of surgery, for instance, among other ways, then we're really able to shape the beam quite well and don't have to worry about not having adequate space and radiation dose to that surgical bed area. So that's one of the things that the team can help accomplish. The other thing that's been quite exciting in the national experience has been methods to decrease cardiac exposure. And there are several different methods out there. So one method is the use of what's called the prone breast radiation technique. And that's a technique where women will lie on their stomach and the breast that's going to be treated falls forward. And that oftentimes lets less heart be exposed to radiation just by positioning. The other technique that we have available is a technique called breath hold. And that deep inspiration breath hold technique is really quite simple on the surface of things. What happens is women, while being monitored by a whole bunch of fancy equipment, will take a deep breath and their lungs will fill up with air and that will push the heart away from the breast tissue and down in the chest. And both of those anatomic maneuvers caused by the deep breathing will help remove the heart away from the radiation treatment field. And I was just going to interject there that uh, one of the things I find exciting about that kind of technology is it really it really represents a, a sort of a paradigm shift because in the past, um, a lot of our gains were made by modifying the beam, and we could modify the shape, the size, and the direction of the beam in our planning. But now we can actually modify the anatomy, which is so exciting because this is now a way to reproducibly uh, for example, with the heart, move the heart away from the radiation field. So that's that's very exciting. It's sort of a new uh, concept that really is coming into practice and, be, and you know really showing a lot of benefit. Absolutely, and you're right that that is tremendously exciting because one of the things that the literature has shown over the years, as you know, is that there is a great variability even among similar techniques into what dose the heart actually receives of radiation. And just as you said, it's it's related to that individual anatomy, just the relationship of the shape of the breast and the shape of the chest and the location of the heart and how close it is to the, to the rib cage. All of those things are things that until now we really haven't been able to change. Right. And now we're, you know, again, this is more and more um, technology and, and the basic concepts the same. Treat the areas where the tumor cells may be hiding, avoid the underlying tissues like the heart and lung. But it's just exciting to get things that are more and more adept at doing that um, and allowing us to achieve our long-term goals. Because you mentioned the side effects and, and the survivorship issue. Um, 
We know that radiation therapy and a lot of our cancer therapies are relatively, especially radiation, relatively well-tolerated short-term. But now, I think that we've made a lot of strides in trying to pay attention to the whole patient throughout the course of their lifetime and what we can do uh, for our survivors and things like survivorship clinics. Maybe we can discuss some of the long-term outcome issues for, for radiation therapy patients. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that a lot of cancer centers offer these days and something that I would certainly encourage people to seek out is having a program for survivorship. And patients tend to find this useful because in a survivorship type setting, oftentimes it's multidisciplinary where you'll meet with a physical therapist, you'll meet with a nutritionist, you'll meet with a social worker, you'll meet with an oncologist, and the oncologist will address sort of how you're going to be followed for your cancer in the future, what sort of studies might need to be ordered, how often will you be seen, what sort of laboratory studies might be needed, will you be followed by mammograms or mammograms and ultrasounds, or will there be MRI integrated into your follow-up? All of that is very individual. And having that game plan is oftentimes very reassuring to patients so they can understand where to go from here to sort of transition from active treatment to living beyond this diagnosis, which can be so traumatic and so devastating for so many women, even with a good prognosis. They will meet with a physical therapist who can talk with them about how they're doing after all of their treatments? Are there any issues with arm range of motion or limitation of the shoulder motion? How can that be improved on? What is their risk for lymphedema if they have a risk for lymphedema? How can that be modified? Do they need to have any concern about doing certain activities with respect to their lymphedema? We have a lot of patients who will be concerned about carrying their pocketbook on one side or taking a flight, and and the physical therapy team can help to answer that and help people move beyond. The nutritionist can talk about dietary factors which have been shown to decrease the risk of recurrence, so maintaining an active lifestyle and maintaining a healthy weight and staying away from too much alcohol. Those are all things that can modify future breast cancer risk. And the social workers as well are a very important part of that team because they can also talk about um, managing the diagnosis internally. How is your family doing it, dealing with it? How are you dealing with it? Is there any need for counseling or additional support on there? So, you know, really when we talk about survivorship, we're talking about a comprehensive, integrative approach to this. And radiation also... um, is highlighted in there as well because the oncologist who will do these sorts of meetings will talk about, all right, well, you've received left breast radiation, and maybe this is a woman who's also received something that could affect the heart like adriamycin chemotherapy or Herceptin immunotherapy, and that may be someone who we involve the cardiac oncologist, right? These are cardiologists who specialize in the effect of oncologic therapy on survivors of diseases like breast cancer so that they can be more attuned and say, hey, we know that these these things may be putting you at a little bit higher risk. So for you, we're going to take extra good care of your blood pressure and your diabetes and hold you to a higher standard because you've also received these oncologic therapies, which could impact your risk. And we want to be very proactive about making sure that you're at the lowest risk possible. Yeah, and I wanted to go back to the issue of lifestyle factors because what I think is, what I've seen in my practice and what I I find really encouraging is 
well, number one, there's a lot, a lot of data now that, you know, people ask us, what can I do to improve my situation? And a lot of that is lifestyle. For instance, with breast cancer now, we know that many people, by controlling their BMI or their, their weight, um, can enhance even their overall survival because we know that fat makes estrogens, estrogen feeds tumor. Um, and I think that one of the big benefits is, number one, that patients have hope that they can do something for themselves. But also, some of these lifestyle modifications that they begin with the survivorship program carry over into their life and actually prevent other cancers because we know things like colorectal cancer um, are also related to obesity. So actually, um, sometimes women come to us with, or women and men with breast cancer come to us and have the breast cancer as their focus, but then we can put them um, into uh, touch with the survivorship program, which allows them to actually move forward with their life in a healthier way, that can actually prevent other cancers from, re- from developing and help them with their overall health in the long term. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the other things with respect to how radiation has changed as well is that not only are we more conscious about toxicities and heart-related possible effects, but we've also been able to modify the delivery of the radiation for many women. So for you know, women who have early stage breast cancer where only the breast is being treated and at present who typically haven't received chemotherapy, we are able to offer a shorter course of radiation of about four weeks of treatment, um, which has been a really nice thing rather than six to seven weeks of treatment. The shorter course or hypofractionated radiation therapy, which is sort of the medical term for it, has been shown to be quite effective, really comparable to the longer course of radiation. And interestingly, in some work done across the country, has shown some improved quality of life parameters. So women had less fatigue um, and also less skin irritation. And one of the fascinating things I found about this study um, that was done in Texas was that they looked at women's, because it was predominantly women in the study, um, ability to care for their family members six months after treatment. And the fascinating thing about that was that the the duration of radiation therapy was actually more predictive of ability to take care of their families well than the administration of chemotherapy. Dr. Suzanne Evans is an associate professor of therapeutic radiology at Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.